And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's July 20th, 201st day of the year. 164 days remain till the year's over with. And y'all requested a an update on holidays and other observances. Today is National Moon Day. Uh, Columbia Independence Day. Crown Prince Hakan's Day. He's Crown Prince of Norway. International Chess Day. Vampira Day. Dedicated to the national hero of Honduras. National Fortune Cookie Day. National Lollipop Day. National Megan Day, National Natalie Day, National Pennsylvania Day, National Ugly Truck Contest Day, Space Exploration Day, Women's Union Establishment Day, and World Jump Day. Oh, that's an exciting one. Alrighty. In 70 A.D., we had the Siege of Jerusalem. Titus, the son of Emperor Vespasian, storms the fortress of Antonia, north of the Temple Mount. Roman armies drawn into street fights with the Zealots. 792, Cardam of Bulgaria defeats Byzantine Emperor Constantine VI at the Battle of Marcella. 911, Rollo lays siege to Chartres. 1189, Richard I of England officially invested as Duke of Normandy. I think Richard I was also known as uh, Richard the Lionheart. Um, he was King of England from 1189 until he died in 1199. He ruled as Duke of Normandy, Aquitaine and Gascony, Lord of Cyprus, Count of Poitiers, Anjou, Maine, and Nantes. Overlord of Brittany at various times. He was the third of five sons of, of Henry II of England and Eleanor of Aquitaine, and nobody really believed he'd become king. But his two older brothers predeceased their father. Uh, he became known as Richard Coeur de Lion, or Richard of Lionheart, because of his reputation as a great military leader and warrior. Uh, And he tended to do things, or view things, in black and white. Okay, 1225, Treaty of San Germano is signed at San Germano between the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II and Pope Gregory IX. The Dominican, by the name of Guala, responsible for the negotiations. 1398, the Battle of Kellistown is fought on this day between the Forces of the English, read by Marjorie Mortimer, 4th Earl of the March, against the O'Briens and the O'Tools, under the command of Art Og Mac Mercada, the most powerful chieftain in Leicester. 1402, the Ottoman Timurid Wars, Battle of Ankara Timur, ruler of the Timurid Empire, defeats forces of the Ottoman Empire Sultan. Bayezid the first. Fifteen ninety two during the first Japanese invasion of Korea, Japanese forces led by Toyotomi Hideyoshi 
captured Yong Yang. But they couldn't hold it. 1705, a fire in Lulu, Finland, almost completely destroyed the 4th District, which covered the southern part of the city and is by far the largest of the city districts. 1715, <clears throat> 7th Ottoman Venetian War. Ottoman Empire captures Naupia, the capital of the Republic of Venice's Kingdom of the Moria, opening the way to the swift Ottoman reconquest of the Moria. 1738, Canadian explorer Pierre Gautier de Varnes at De La Verandry reaches the western shore of Lake Michigan. 1799, Tekel Georgis I begins his first of six reigns as the Emperor of Ethiopia. 1807, Nisafore Nipsi is awarded a patent for by Napoleon for the Aurelio for the world's first international combustion engine after it successfully powered a boat upstream on the river Saone in France. 1810, citizens of Bogota, New Granada, declare independence from Spain. 1831, Seneca and Shawnee people agree to relinquish their land in western Ohio for 60,000 acres west of the Mississippi. It's all well and good to give away something you don't own, but eventually there's a A time that the accounts must balance. 1848, the first Women's Rights Convention in Seneca Falls, New York. Uh, a two-day event concludes on this date. 1864, American Civil War. Battle of Wheatstreet Creek. It's near Atlanta. Confederate forces led by General John Bell Hood unsuccessfully attacked Union troops under General William T. Sherman. Hood... Never had all that much success as a commander. But apparently he knew the right people. 1866, Austro-Prussian War, Battle of Lissa. Austrian Navy, led by Admiral Wilhelm von Tegetoff, defeats the Italian Navy near the island of Wies in the Atlantic Sea. 1871, British Columbia joins the Confederation of Canada. 1885, the Football Association legalizes professionalism and association football under pressure from the British Football Association. Up to that point, you had to be an amateur. 1903, the Ford Motor Company ships its first automobiles. 1906, in Finland, a new electoral law is ratified, guaranteeing the country the first and equal right to vote in the world. Finnish women are the first in Europe to get the right to vote. 1917, World War I, the Corfu Declaration, which leads to the creation of the post-war Kingdom of Yugoslavia, signed by the Yugoslav Committee in the Kingdom of Serbia. 1920, the Greek Army takes control of Silivri after Greece is awarded the city by the Paris Peace Conference. By 1923, Greece effectively lost control to the Turks. 1922, the League of Nations awards mandates of Togoland to... Uh, France and Tanganyika to the United Kingdom. 1932, in the Prebenslag, German President Hindenburg places Prussia directly under the rule of the national government. 1934, labor unrest in the U.S. Police in Minneapolis fire on striking truck drivers during the Minneapolis Teamsters strike of 1934. They killed two and wounded 67. 
1934, West Coast waterfront strike when Seattle police fired tear gas on a women club. Some 2,000 striking longshoremen. Governor Morgan calls out the National Guard to break a strike on the Portland docks. 1935, in Switzerland, a Royal Dutch Airlines plane en route from Milan to Frankfurt crashes into a Swiss mountain, killing 13 people. 1936, the Montreux Convention is signed in Switzerland, authorizing Turkey to fortify the Dardanelles and the Bosphorus, but uh, guaranteeing free passage to ships of all nations during peacetime. 1938, the U.S. Department of Justice filed suit in New York City against the motion picture industry, charging violations of the Sherman Antitrust Act in regard to the studio system. Mm-hmm. That case would eventually... Uh, Result in a breakup of the industry in 1948. Up until that point in time, the studios were supreme. 1940, Denmark leaves the League of Nations, also in 40. California opens its first freeway, the Arroyo Seco Parkway. 1941, Joseph Stalin consolidates the commissariats of home affairs and national security to form the NKVD and names the Ventre Beria chief. That was the secret police, don't you know? 1944, World War II. Hitler survives an assassination attempt led by German Army Colonel Klaus von Stauffenberg. 1949, Israel-Syria Mixed Armistice uh, Commission brokers the last of four ceasefire agreements in the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. 1950, Cold War in Philadelphia. Henry Gold plays guilty to spying for the Soviet Union by passing secrets from atomic scientist Klaus Fuchs. 1950, after a month-long campaign, the majority of North Korea's air force was destroyed by our communist forces. 1951, King Abdullah I of George assassinated by Palestinian while attending Friday prayers in Jerusalem. 1954, Germany. Otto John, head of West Germany's uh, Secret Service, defects to East Germany. 1960, Ceylon, now Sri Lanka, elects... Uh, Siramavo Bandaranaki, Prime Minister, the world's first elected female head of government. 1960, Polaris missiles successfully launched from a submarine, USS George Washington, for the first time. 1961, French military forces break the Tunisian siege of Bizerta. 1964, Vietnam War. Viet Cong forces um, attack the capital of Den Duong Province, Kabay, kills 11 South Vietnamese military personnel and 40 civilians, um, 30 of whom were children. 1968, the first International Special Olympic Summer Games were held at Soldier Field in Chicago with about 1,000 athletes and intellectuals with intellectual disabilities. This is uh, the brainchild of the new survivor who married Sergeant Shriver. I was amazed he never got a promotion. 1969, Apollo program. Apollo 11's crew successfully makes the first human landing on the moon in a sea of tranquility. Americans, uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin become the first humans to walk on the moon six and a half hours later. 1969, saw a ceasefire being announced between Honduras and El Salvador six days after the beginning of the football war. 
1974, Turkey's invasion of Cyprus. Forces from Turkey invade Cyprus after a coup d'etat organized by the dictator of Greece against President Makarios. 1976, the American Viking 1 lander successfully lands on Mars. 1977, a Central Intelligence Agency releases documents of the Freedom of Information Act revealing it engaged in mind control experiments. They were amazed to find so many people had minds. 1977, a Jonestown flood of 1977 kills 84 and causes millions of dollars in damages. 1981, Somali Airlines Flight 40 crashes in the Balad district of Somalia and kills 40. 1982, Hyde Park and Regents Park bombings. The provisional IRA detonates two bombs in Hyde Park and Regents Park in central London. Killed eight soldiers, wounded 47 people, led to the death of seven horses. 1985, the government of Aruba passes legislation to succeed from the Netherlands and Talese. 1989, Burma's ruling junta puts opposition leader Aung San Suu Kyi under house arrest. 1992, Jaclav Havel resigns as president of Czechoslovakia. 1997, a fully restored U.S. Constitution, also known as Old Ironside, celebrates its 200th birthday by setting sail for the first time in 116 years. 1999, a Chinese Communist Party begins a persecution campaign against the Falun Gong, arresting thousands nationwide. 2005, the Civil Marriage Act legalizes same-sex marriage in Canada. 2012, James Holmes opens fire to movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, kills 12 and injures 70. Also in 2012, Syrian Civil War, People's Protection Units captured the cities of Muda and Efren without resistance. 2013, 17 government soldiers are killed in an attack by FARC revolutionaries in the Columbia Department of Arauca. Also in 2013, Syrian Civil War, Battle of Ras Al Ain ends with the expulsion of Islamist forces from the city by the People's Protection Units. Basically, that was militia, for those that are confused. 2015, a huge explosion in the mostly Kurdish border town of Saruk, Turkey, targeting the Socialist Youth Association's Federation, kills at least 31 and injures over 100. 2015, the U.S. and Cuba resume full diplomatic relations after 50 years. 2017, O.J. Simpson is granted parole to be released from prison after serving nine years of a 33-year sentence for being convicted of armed robbery in Las Vegas. He was trying to recover um, personal memorabilia that had been taken. 2021, American businessman Jeff Bezos flies to space aboard New Shepard NS-16, operated by his private spaceflight company, Blue Origin. Well, there's a lot of things that took place. These are the, the main ones that we have um, discussed. Now, we're going to take a break from talking about assassinations and conspiracies and all that. We're going to talk about some of the world's greatest mysteries. Somebody asked me about the main penny. It was a thousand-year-old Norse coin found at a prehistoric archaeological site, New England. 
However, what puzzles everybody is how it got there. Now, it was August 18th, 1957. Amateur archaeologist Guy Melgren was excavating the Goddard Archaeological Site in the central Maine coast. Now, for those that are not familiar with the Goddard uh, site, it's a large prehistoric Native American settlement at Penobscot Bay from which thousands of artifacts have been collected. A few weeks into his dig, Elgren found a small silver coin buried in the ground. It was identified as a 12th century British penny. It was thought to be brought to Maine by 17th century English colonists and 1974 was donated along with 30,000 other items discovered at Goddard to the Maine State Museum. Now, historians, as you might guess, were intrigued by the this centuries-old artifact. 1978, experts from London examined the coin and declared it was probably Norse Kilbjorn Sakari of the University of Oslo uh, declared the coin of Norse origin and estimated it had been struck between 1065 and 1080 and circulated until the 13th century. Well, that certainly raised questions. At the time of the coin circulation, The years the Goddard site was occupied and a period in which Norse Vikings inhabited Greenland and possibly traveled in North America. All overlap, of course. It's been suggested that the Penny's discovery on the main coast indicates the Vikings had uh, ventured beyond Greenland. Maybe the Vikings uh, were the ones who brought the coin to Maine. And if the Norsemen did not mention visit Maine, maybe the coin was traded with native people living around Greenland and it moved further and further south on subsequent uh, native trades. The Maine penny is a prime example of an object called an oop, out-of-place artifact. These are artifacts that shouldn't exist, either because the technology needed to Make them didn't exist at the time of their presumed creation or because they don't agree with accepted scientific knowledge. I mean, there's a wild hell belief among retired scientists that the Vikings did not visit places south of Greenland. And of course, they have to be right because they're retired scientists. Now let's talk about the London Hammer. This discovery of a common 19th century tool in Texas calls into question conventional history about the age of mankind. While walking along the Red Creek River near the town of London, Texas in 1934, Kappel spotted a curious sight. A chunk of loose rock with the head of a hammer and part of the handle encased in it. Metal hammerhead is six inches long with a one-inch diameter. Its styles believed to be similar to tools manufactured in the U.S. in the late 1800s. The rock it was found in is at least a hundred million years old. 
So a lot of speculation about the real age of the hammer. It ended up embedded in solid rock, of course, is bouncing all over uh, the internet. Some creation theorists claim the out-of-place artifact known as the London Hammer dates from the time of the Great Flood described in the Bible. Others say this unusual find is evidence of ancient aliens or even some type of government conspiracy. Maybe time travel. Scientists suggest a perhaps more credible explanation that dissolving minerals in the ancient limestone hardened into a concrete around the hammer common process that can occur in a relatively short period of time. If you go to Gunnaros, Texas, you can see it on display at Carl Edwin Ball's uh, Creation Evidence Museum of Texas. Who knows what the real answer is? Well, let's talk about uh, the Shroud of Turin. Many people believe the shroud is the actual cloth Jesus was buried in after he was taken down from the, the cross. It's regarded by millions of Christians as the funeral cloth of Jesus Christ. And it's one of the holiest and most controversial religious icons in the world. And for centuries, historians, researchers, theologians, and lay folks have intentionally debated the matter. Some people say even the most advanced scientific testing has been unable to establish conclusively the authenticity of the shroud. It's a sheet of linen, 14 and a half feet long by 3 and a half feet wide. The front and back of the cloth bear a faint brownish image of a naked man with his hands folded across the groin. The figure's been measured to be about 6 feet 2 inches tall. Cloth has reddish-brown stains like blood, indicating injuries conforming to those that Jesus suffered on the cross. And the history of the shrouds is as mysterious as the cloth itself. A cloth allegedly bearing the image of a crucified man was exhibited in a small church in Lyrae, France, about 1357. Some folks are sure the Crusaders brought the item to Europe from Constantinople about 1204. Well, in 1453, the cloth found its way to a chapel in southeastern France where it was damaged in a fire in 1532. And, of course, the nuns tried to repair the damage with patches. Forty-six years later, the cloth was sent to Turin, Italy, where it remains today at the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist, uh, the property of Vatican City. Scientific examination of the cloth was first permitted in 1969. At that point in time, scientists uh, determined the shroud image was indeed that of a crucified man and not the product of an artist. 1988, the Vatican authorized radiocarbon dating of the relic. Small samples of the cloth were, uh, were laboratory tested by three different research institutions. Each lab said the object dated between 1260 and 1390, several hundred years after the burial of Jesus. Well, some researchers, though, came up with brilliant ideas to circumvent the dating. They claimed the test samples were cut from the patches used to repair the damage after the 1532 fire. 2013, scientists at the University of Padua in Italy examined the shroud using infrared light and spectros 
spectroscopy. They suggested this route could be more than 2,000 years old, which means it could well be the um, funeral cloth of Jesus Christ. Of course, the Avatar scientists are offended that their statements are not believed. Well, now we're going to talk about a religious icon believed by many to date to the time of Adam and Eve. It's called the Black Stone of the Kaaba. Scientists have never been allowed to touch it. It's draped on a black and gold silk veil. It's um, this ancient cube-shaped Grand Mosque in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. sits in the uh, center of Islam's most um, sacred sanctuary, Al-Majid Al-Haram. And attesting to the importance of the Kaaba is the expectation that Muslims everywhere in the world face that structure when they pray. Now, built into the eastern cornerstone of the Kaaba is the Black Stone, one of the most venerated icons of the religion of Islam. This object consists of three large pieces and smaller fragments held together with a silver frame. The stone that measures about 8 inches by 6.3 inches is normally covered with a thick cloth called the Kishwa. According to the legend surrounding the stone, it's got an unbelievably rich history. Muslim tradition holds that the stone fell from the skies during the days of Adam and Eve. Once dazzling white in color, and it's turned black because it's absorbed the sins of the pilgrims to Mecca who have touched it over the years. And the stone has a tumultuous history. During a siege of Mecca in 683 A.D., a projectile shot from a catapult said to have smashed the stone to pieces. Fragments were rejoined, but in 930, Ramatians, members of the Shia Muslim sect, stole the stone and held it for ransom for more than 20 years. The stone was returned, broken into several pieces. In the 11th century, a man trying to smash the stone caused further damage. And in 1674, somebody allegedly desecrated the stone by smearing excrement on it. So the question becomes, is the black stone of heavenly birth a supernatural substance or maybe a meteorite? Is it a common rock? Well, nobody knows, and we'll probably never know. No scientific examination has ever been permitted, which is probably a good thing. Because if you listen to scientific... Uh, to the scientific ravings of ivory tower scientists, uh, only they know the truth of the world. Well, let's talk about the blanking horde. Swedish Island is the repository for enormous collections of silver amassed by Viking traders and explorers. It's called Gotland. 
a um, large island in the Baltic Sea, about 50 miles off the southeast coast of Sweden. And it's been inhabited since prehistoric times. For about 1800 to 1150, it was home to Swedish Vikings, seafarers who accumulated enormous wealth trading with Eastern Europe and the Arab world. And now part of Sweden, Gotland is home to numerous hordes of Viking treasures. Now the world's largest Viking silver treasure was accidentally discovered in a field at the Spilling Farm, near a site in uh, northern Gotland, by a uh, film crew preparing news coverage of illegal Viking treasure hunting. Three large caches of riches were eventually uncovered at the site. Ultimately, this, the so-called the Spillings Hoard yielded about 14,300 silver coins, some as old as 871. The hoard had been hidden under the wooden floorboards of a building used as a shed. Found in two separate deposits located only feet apart, the treasure had probably been bundled in cloth, leather, or wooden boxes, all of which had not rotted away over the years. Spindling's hoards on permanent display at the Gotland Museum in the city of Vichy, which is located on the island. Excavations of the more than 60 Viking coastal settlements have turned out traded goods from Italy, Poland, Turkey, Prussia, and Iraq. In exchange for the Exotic wares that his trading partners, the Vikings of Gotland, offered cloth, uh, cloth and iron and furs and a number of other items. And more than anything else, it was silver, mainly coins and jewelry the Vikings desired. To date, more than 700 silver hoards have been discovered in Gotland. That, result, that um, equates to 170,000 silver coins. Well... Now let's talk about the Northern Lights. This uh, unique phenomena. Um, there's a Viking legend that explains it. That persists despite the Ivory Tower scientist uh, explanations. Today we know the Northern Lights as the Aurora Borealis naturally occurring phenomena in the sky resulting from the interactions between solar winds and the Earth's magnetic field and outer atmosphere. Energy-filled particles from the solar winds become trapped in Earth's polar region and become electrically charged. And this produces a spectacular multicolored light show that has fascinated and frightened humanity for millennia. Now, there are numerous stories about magnificent lights been linked to traditional Norse folklore and legends. According to North mythology, Bifrost is a colorful bridge connecting uh, Midgard, or Earth, with Ashgard, the realm of the gods. The bridge is frequently described as covered with flames, burning a bright fire red. And throughout the ages, the growing arch-shaped lights of the aurora were claimed to be Bifrost, providing Vikings who died in combat passageway to their final resting place. Warfare is also linked to the lights in another legend which claims they symbolize the fire edge of a sword during battle. Well, there are a number of other oral legends that are told about the strange flickering lights. 
One claims you're the reflection of the armor and shields of the Valkyries, the female warriors who appear in numerous North mythologies and sagas. In Iceland, the lights were said to relieve the pain of childbirth. In Greenland, the lights were a forbidding omen during delivery, believed to be the souls of babies who died at birth. Historical, medi historical meteorological data suggests the Northern Lights didn't appear often during the age of the Vikings. Now, given the profusion of tales associated with the Aurora Borealis, though it played a significant and enduring role in Viking culture and folklore, modern-day stargazers, of course, appreciate the, the beauty of our solar system. I heard another story that uh, it's the reflection of the inner sun, since there's supposed to be a the earth is supposed to be hollow. All right. Let's see what else we got. How about the Kensington, the Kensington runestone? You know, it's believed scholars have finally found compelling proof the Vikings explored deep into the interior of North America. Knowing the Vikings, they probably did. In November 1898, Swedish farmer Olaf Oman and Ten-year-old son Edward were clearing land near their home in the rural township of Solon, Minnesota. Olaf pulled out a tree stump, a stone entwined in its roots, and merged in the ground. It was two and a half feet tall and weighed about 202 pounds. Edward noticed some unusual inscriptions on the slab, so Olaf took the stone to the nearby settlement of Kensington, where a villager claimed the markings were ruins or the ancient Nordic alphabet. Well, a copy of the markings were sent to the University of Minnesota. Olus Breda, professor of Scandinavian languages, studied it and uh, declared the stone was a modern forgery. He forwarded, co he forwarded copies of the inscription to experts in Scandinavia who also deemed the inscription a contemporary fake. Well, disheartened, he had been now, he had not found a convincing piece of evidence of an early Norse presence in the U.S. Oman sold the stone to Northwest University in Illinois for $10 in 1911. Scholars there determined the artifact was a hoax and returned the stone to Oman. Norwegian-American historian Hajimar Holland, though, believed the inscriptions were genuine and had the text deciphered. And according to the text, it said eight Goss and 22 Norwegians on exploration journey from Vinland to the west. We had camped by two rocky uh, inlets, one day's journey north from the stone. Went to fish one day, and we came home, found ten men red with blood and dead. I've ate Virgo Maria, saved from evil. Have ten men by the sea to look after our ships, fourteen days travel from this island. And it's dated 1362. Well, the consensus among runic experts and other ivory tower scientists is that the Kensington Stone is a fraud. They contend the vocabulary and grammar of the inscriptions includes forms didn't exist in the 14th century, but were common in the U.S. in the 19th century. And in addition to runes, it represented numbers in the inscription relate to the Arabic system, a form very few people knew in the, 13, in the year 1362. But if the stone was a forgery, it required a well-read, talented forger. Did Olaf Holman try to bamboozle everybody with a well-executed fake? Was there somebody else involved? 
Well, if you believe the 1973 deathbed confession of Walter Cran, it might have been. He said his father John claimed he carved the runes with omen and the bluff people around the country, especially the educated one, to think that you're dumb. And certainly there would be folks who would uh, relish the opportunity to put it over on the, the ivory tower scientist. Well, next let's talk about Hadrian's Wall. An incredible engineering marvel that spans England. Well, stretching across northern England, Hadrian's Wall covers 73 miles of countryside. Extending from Wall's End on the east coast to the salt marshes of the Solway Estuary on the west coast. This defensive wall was the work of ancient Roman's greatest builder, Hadrian, the 14th emperor of the Roman Empire. Well, the Roman conquest of Britain began in 43 AD. Control of southern Britain proceeded rapidly, but the far north offered stiff, stiff resistance to the invaders. Armed clans and tribes and loosely organized armies pecked away at the Roman uh, northern advance, often inflicting significant damage on the Roman uh, units stationed in that area. By the time Hadrian visited Britain, 122 A.D. to assess the situation, a wall had already been planned. It seems unlikely the Romans believed the wall could hold back a determined enemy, leading historians to conclude the wall was built primarily as a show of Rome's power and force. Constructions began in 122, starting in the east and proceeding westward, and was completed in six years. Probably didn't use union labor. In its final form, Hadrian's Wall was nearly 10 feet wide and 16 to 20 feet high in its eastern portion, all of stone, 20 feet wide and 11 feet high in the western section, built in stone and turf. There were about 15 large forts built astride the wall on its northern-facing side, 20 foot wide, 10 foot deep ditch and mound barrier called the Vallum was built south of the wall, running parallel to it. At most points, the vellum lies close to Hadrian's Wall, but in England's hilly central section, it can be as much as 2,000 feet away. Archaeologists, of course, believe the vellum was constructed as the southern boundary of their own military zone, with the uh, wall marking the northernmost boundary. After Hadrian's death in 138, the new emperor, Antoninus Pius, built a new wall, the Antonine Wall, about 100 miles north. Hadrian's Wall was abandoned for the time being, plagued by economic troubles. Rome slowly lost its grip on Britain, and by about 410, Roman rule had generally ended in the, the land. In spite of that, many sections of Hadrian's Wall remain standing and well-preserved. And Britain is also the, the home, if you will, of the mysterious Ninth Legion that vanished. Well, let's talk about one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The mausoleum at Halicarnassus was a tomb built about 350 B.C. at Halicarnassus, that's present-day Bodrum in Turkey, built for King Mausolus of Caria, region in western Turkey. 
The mausoleum, which stood 150 feet tall, was decorated with carved reliefs and life-size marble statues of lions and horses and people. At the beginning of the 15th century A.D., not much was left of the, this colossal edifice, which had largely been destroyed by a series of earthquakes. 1494, Crusaders removed most of the remaining stone to build Bodrum Castle, which, where they installed several of the mausoleum statues. 1846, a British ambassador obtained some of the statues for the British Museum in London. Well, ten years later, that'd be 1856, museums and archaeologist Charles Thomas Newton to search for more remains of the mausoleum. But there was a problem. The exact location of the mausoleum was, had long vanished from history. After prolonged research of ancient texts and endless excavations, though, Newton succeeded in finding the location. He found additional magnificent reliefs and marble figures at the site, including those of Mausolus and his wife, Artemisia. They were also sent to the British Museum. Turkey's currently attempting to get the statues back, arguing that the artifacts were removed illegally. Now, there's a sprawling villa on the outskirts of the doomed Roman city that contains um, stunning frescoes whose meanings are well, still a little foggy. When I say doomed city, I'm talking about Pompeii and Herculaneum. It was August 24th and 25th in 79 AD. Mount Vesuvius on the Gulf of Naples in Italy erupted, destroyed and buried under layers of ash and molten rock and gas the cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum. Remains were more than 1,500 victims have been recovered, so we don't know how many more are buried. The cities were abandoned and forgotten for more than 1,500 years. Pompeii was discovered in 1599 when workers digging an underground tunnel uncovered fresco-covered walls. Over the ensuing years, the site became a favorite haunt of archaeologists, and excavations were conducted frequently throughout the 18th and 19th century. 1909, the archaeologists found a large, well-preserved villa just beyond one of Pompeii's main gates, known as the Villa of Mysteries. Dwelling covered roughly 4,000 square feet and contained about 60 rooms. It sustained little damage in the eruption and for thousands of years was can't read my own handwriting for hundreds of years. It was shielded from the damaging effects of erosion and weathering by the 30-foot of ash and rock in which it was buried. Now, the villa was renowned for the spectacular series of well-preserved frescoes in one of its rooms, 15 by 15-foot 15 dining room. In a bright cherry red background are more than two dozen life-size figures painted in the mid-first century A.D., most are clothed, some are naked. The subject of the frescoes has been debated for more than a century. One interpretation is that the scene depicts the 
initiation of women into the uh, mystery cult of Dionysus, Greek uh, woman, sac- Greek Roman sacred religion that required initiates to undergo numerous arcane rituals. Other scholars claim the scene shows a young bride preparing for her wedding. Well, for centuries, the debris in that room had protected the frescoes from the elements. Once workers began removing the tons of material from the room, the integrity of the frescoes became uh, compromised. Years of neglect and only moderate efforts to preserve the frescoes further endangered these uh, invaluable paintings. In 2013, a major restoration and conservation project uh, was launched to help uh, preserve and restore the frescoes to their former glory. So if you make a trip there today, you may be presently surprised. Well, our next mysterious location, England's Timber Castles. You know, those long vanished. Early castles made of wood proved an effective offense against a defense against attack from during the Middle Ages. The Tower of London, Dover, Leeds, Kenilworth, Arundel. You talk about these English castles and it conjures up images of massive imposing stone structures that still stand today. Centuries after they were built. The earliest castles in England though weren't built of stone, but they were built of wood often fortified with uh, earthwork uh, defenses such as mounds and ditches. Popular form of timber construction was the, the Martin Bailey Castle. A fortified tower of wood known as a castle keep was built on a steep-sided uh, flat-topped circular mound called a mott. A ditch surrounded the mott. An enclosed courtyard or bailey included domestic buildings such as kitchens and stables. Stone castles were also built in the modern Bailey form. The timber castle, the timber castles, atop the moat from which uh, defenders shot arrows at advancing intruders, could be built rapid and was often um, prefabricated. Pieces could be taken down and reassembled someplace else. Wooden castle keeps were later replaced with stone towers, which. Uh, more difficult tank, but assuming the build offered greater protection against attacks. But it's interesting to note that initially the great English castles were made of wood. Well, let's go to the Spanish island of Menorca, where we have mysterious megalithic structures on, that rival England's Stonehenge. Now, Menorca is located in the far western Mediterranean Sea. It's easternmost of the Balearic Islands. Roughly 270 square miles in area. It measures about 30 miles at its widest. Humans are believed to have inhabited Menorca for at least uh, 4,000 years. Among the small, rocky islands, most influential people are the Teleotic culture, which inhabited the region beginning about 1,000 B.C. and maybe even earlier. The Leotic people erected numerous stone uh, structures. 
including Taleots, um, from which the culture's name comes, believed to be homes, defensive barriers, or lookouts, or signaling towers on the eastern islands, such as the Menorca and Mallorca. Menorca is renowned, however, comes not from the the Taleotis, but from enormous stone megaliths called Talos. Structures that very closely resemble Stonehenge in England. They're T-shaped with a large, flat, horizontal slab surmounting a tall, upright stone. The word means table in the local Catalan language. Structures are in this description because many of the known 13 Talos were buried in the rock and dirt, leaving only the tabletop slabs exposed. Now, researchers don't profess to know why that they were buried or who buried them. They're as much as 12 feet high, and each is surrounded by a horseshoe-shaped wall with shorter stones. They're found not only on Menorca, but elsewhere in the islands. And it was their British con- uh, counterparts at Stonehenge, the precise function and meaning of the Talos are unknown. According to one theory, they're either temples for teleotic gods or representations of them. A figurine of a bronze bull was found in the Menorcan village of uh, Toralba, the Inn Sedlord, home to a, a large Taola. Uh, since early arrivals to Menorca, they have come from Crete. Some scholars suggested the Taliotic people worshipped a bull god, a figure similar to the Cretan bull of the Menorca, uh, Menoran uh, culture. Other theories suggest that uh, they have served as places of healing or prehistoric celestial calendars. That is a good fallback position. It's got something to do with the... Uh, the stars in the sky. Well, to date, no single theory has been proven more valid than the other. A lot more study is going on, and is need even more is needed to actually get legitimate answers. Well, let's talk about one of the ancient world's most celebrated, well-known sites: the Lost Gardens of Babylon. They're also very mysterious. The legendary hanging gardens of Babylon, said to be an earthly paradise of lush vegetation and uh, breathtaking pools and waterfalls, has long been considered one of the most spectacular of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There's only one problem with it. Not only is the site of the hanging gardens uncertain, a number of ivory tower scientists question whether or not they ever existed. Not a single physical trace, not a bit of archaeological evidence to support their existence has ever been found. And the first known written mention of the Hanging Gardens appears in the ancient uh, writings of uh, Berossus, a Chaldean priest in the early 3rd century B.C. He describes the spectacular gardens and claims they were built by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar II, who ruled from about 605 to 562 B.C. Further accounts of the gardens provided centuries later by Roman historian Quintus Curtius Brutus and Greek writer uh, Clitarchus, Theodorus, Siculus, Strabo, and a number of others. 
but no first-hand accounts of the gardens ever existed that we can find. Most of the ancient texts claim the hanging gardens were located near the royal palace in Babylon, the southern uh, capital of Mesopotamia, a region that included present-day eastern Syria, southeastern Turkey, and most of Iraq. The garden sat atop a man-made structure like a ziggurat of multi-tiered uh, terraces. Exotic vegetation of all type, colors, and fragrances were said to grow there. Rush greenery flowed down the sides of the building. Handsome statues, no that they carved stone columns adorned the ground surrounding this um, botanical Eden. Ancient writers tell us an advanced system of irrigation, including pumps and conduits and water storage tanks, carried water from the Euphrates River, enabling the gardens to bloom in the, in the desert. According to researcher Dr. Stephanie Daly of England's Oxford University, the hanging gardens of Babylon have never been found because they weren't in Babylon to begin with. He claims they were built 300 miles away in Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire near the modern city of Mosul in Iraq. Joseph contends it was the Assyrian king Sennacherib who built the gardens. hundred years earlier than scholars believed. Well, she might be on the right track. Excavations at Nineveh revealed a sophisticated irrigation system. Carvings at the royal palace show a large garden watered by an aqueduct. So the question becomes, could the millennium-old legend of the hanging gardens of Babylon be a geographic misplacement? A typo, so to speak. Well, on that notice, we have come to the end of today's show. We're not out of time. We'll be back tomorrow. Once again, we'll be talking about strange and unusual Mysteries. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.